I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, the good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. I'm Matt Bernico. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. This week, we're talking about a, um, a spicy press release from the Vatican that's got all the, all the bloggers talking. It has like three commenters talking, but uh, <laughs> they've got some, some great things to say. Um, before we do that, Matt, what have you been up to? uh school's over so i've been doing some end of the you school did it. year yeah i did it i'm surprised um did some end of the school year kind of work gotta do all that good assessment um getting my course evals they're funny um <laughs> and uh just wrapping wrapping things up over here on my end um did you get any really good uh like gems of any uh any evaluations yeah you know i did um you know i did all of my major courses were all fine and students seemed to really like me and that was nice um i taught nice. i did teach this like sort of senior capstone where students did not like me as much um <laughs> which is fine i mean they don't have to like me um but i did feel like i was getting trolled a little bit in them um it was a class that was literally <laughs> about mass incarceration and students were upset that there were not enough conservative voices and mm-hmm. i don't really find that to be that troubling to me like that there aren't any conservative voices in a class like that um because literally like turn the news on and you'll get enough conservative voices to last a lifetime <laughs> like just yeah. look somewhere else i don't know it's also kind of troubling Read literally to me. anything yeah yeah for sure it's also annoying to me too because it's like it's a class where they're doing a research project and like i'm there to help them with their research method more than i am to teach them the content so it's like if they wanted conservative mm. sources then they should go find them um but uh anyways me over here just being a typical college professor (laughs) typical really radicalizing the youth gonna send them back to their youth pastors all upset (laughs) i hope so yeah did that ever happen to you did you ever get any of those narratives said about you when you were going to a a liberal christian college about wait i'm sorry to my youth pastor like did my youth pastor warn me about them or something or yeah or like were people in your church uh, oh yeah no totally Yeah, so I went to, I grew up in a, like a Nazarene church, um, which is a whole nother brand of Protestantism that's really bizarre. Um, so um, it's like more conservative than like Methodism. And like, it's like between Baptists and, and Methodism, maybe Nazarenes. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up going to a school uh, that was not a Nazarene school. And my youth pastor said, oh, well. I hope you have a good time being wrong with all the Methodists. <laughs> it's like literally the, like almost the same denomination. And like he still they still said that kind of stuff to me. And it's like, get real. It's so it's just yeah. so dumb. I can't even can't even with that. <laughs> I remember like being really kind of nervous about though when I was uh, kind of coming out of high school that like something it, it would be like a really bad experience, uh, you know, to go to college. And I um, like my first year, I know I was like really guarded for that reason because of the impact that people in my church had on me. So huh that was a bummer that's funny yeah did you did you have that kind of experience uh, i mean it's a bummer uh, yeah it is not <laughs> not not exactly the same because like 
I don't know. My my adolescence was weird because I was really into evangelicalism and my parents didn't like understand it, but they like went to the church that I ended up going to for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like when I was away at school, I came back talking to my parents about like reading Karl Marx and my parents are good parents. So they're like, hey, what's that about? Um, that's cool that you're like into something. Uh, but my mom would tell me all these stories about how like people that they knew that they went to church with would be like, did you know that your son's reading Karl Marx? She probably probably check that out probably get on him for that and my mom was like well it's probably good that people like read books and uh think really hard about them and then they stop going to that church so Sick. like that's the good. narrative was there but my family was like that's a stupid thing to think so yeah we got lucky this is kind of wild i was in a philosophy of religion class that i really loved um and i read saint anselm because like that was one of the readings and like for so- like somehow i read saint anselm and i um i became a universalist after i read it cuz like <laughs> uh because like hell like wasn't a part of it so i was just like oh man well anselm's got all the an- answers and then i told my mom and she was very upset <laughs> <laughs> so yeah parents that don't understand i know <laughs> parents that don't understand medieval theology <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah. Uh, well, what did you do this week? Sorry, kind of like off off topic there. Got <laughs> off track. <laughs> that's that's my fault. I put us on that with that weird track. Um, this week I've been cleaning up my apartment a bunch because you're gonna come here tomorrow. Yeah. So yes, yesterday I was like, I better have a clean apartment for my friend to come to, and it was also the Queen's like birthday or something. Queen Victoria's. I don't know. It's very unclear to me, but it's a holiday in Canada. Uh, so there were fireworks all over my like block basically all uh, night uh so that's what i've been doing trying to sleep cleaning my apartment um i don't know doing the huge uh that's cool i appreciate you cleaning up your apartment looking forward to sleeping on your couch it's gonna be a great time i guess uh the next yeah, i think so next episode of the magnificast you will hear is going to be from uh on location uh in canada so get ready for that man i hope so yeah gotta find some time yeah we can if we, we can, can, ever, uh, if we can ever uh, get out of the the matrix at the virtual reality store. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We can just do it on the train. That's true. <laughs> train cast. Speaking of trains, uh, let's get back on track in this episode. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> you did it! You saved us. I did it. Um, <laughs> so uh, this week we did something that was kind of fun. Um, we read a press release from the Vatican about economics and ethics. Uh, Dean, do you want to go ahead and give a stab at the old Latin there and the title of this thing? Because I know I can't do it. Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just going to embarrass myself if I do it because I'm Catholic and it's going to be wrong. So I'm just going to say, um, hmm, what's, well, the, what's a good way of re- renaming this document here? The, uh, the English subtitle is Considerations for an Ethical Discernment Regarding Some Aspects of the Present Economic Financial System. Of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and the Diac... Oh my god, what is that word? Dicastery? Good god. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The Faith and the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development. So first of all, I want to say I have a degree in communication. Um, and I have taught several classes on public relations. I swear to god, if I ever saw a press release like this in any other context, I would just be done from the very beginning. <laughs> there's no there's no sense in which this is okay as a convention of the field. Uh, Vatican folks, get at me if you want someone who can write a press release. Jeez. Uh, but anyways, it's a cool press release nonetheless, despite this, uh, <laughs> this, this actually buck wild off the rails kind of, uh, title, uh, you get the idea about what it's about, uh, ethical discernment in economics. Um, and that is basically what the press release is about. Um, it's a intervention that the Vatican has made. Um, uh, I guess on the behalf of the Pope, that's kind of the undersigned. Um, and, uh, it's pretty interesting and pretty fun, overwhelmingly liberal, and it has a lot of really funny comments kind of attached to it in the comments section. (laughs) So we're going to talk about that today and, um, probably kind of dunk on it a little bit, but the comments, uh, the comments that I've read that other more conservative commentators have made about this have, have made me way more sympathetic to the views of this document. Um, (laughs) People, it's uh, like you wish that uh, you wish the document was what the commentators are worried about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, if um, if it really was a sort of George Soros funded Marxist document, it would be way better. But um, <laughs> OK, well, so uh, we're going to get to the actual document itself in a minute. Um, basically, just kind of 
large overview. The idea behind it is that uh, the Vatican thinks that uh, economics should be something that we think of ethically, which is pretty straightforward Catholic social teaching, from my understanding. Um, they think that um, profits should ultimately benefit people and never just be sort of for the sake of profits. Um, and that's cool. I like all of that. It's just a really basically um, a very compassionately written Keynesian economic document um, with lots of kind of Catholic yeah, right. inflection. Um, and we're going to get to some of it in a minute. But before we do, we're going to start off by just kind of enticing you uh, by reading some of the great, great comments that people have left uh, about this document. Uh, so, Dean, do you want to read the first one? Yeah, sure, sure. So these comments come from a number of uh, places on the Internet, but this is a really good, good one. Um, so the document, it says, identifies imperfection and excesses in the world financial system even the world system is conceptual, I guess that's a little quick jab, uh, which in effect is an argument for egalitarianism. It's not Marxist, uh, it's Soror Sororist, as in George Soros. That's a very important <laughs> clarifying <laughs> clause. Uh, Soros has influence with the pontiff on finances and poverty. Uh, inequality is a prejudicial concept, uh, I guess, uh, because it assumes that uh, one with less deserves the same as one with more. There, nothing in, there is nothing in the document that addresses what already is being done by wealthier nations, <laughs> by investment in less developed nations, and in poverty-stricken areas, mainly remote places in Africa, parts of Asia, oh, yikes, yeah. where access is extremely difficult due to terrain, lack of infrastructure, unfriendly politics, and local hostility. Soros and the present Vatican promote a level playing field in which wealth is shared, with equal distribution and talent is rewarded. It's more indicative of idealism run amok and arrogant disdain for the perceived wealthy corporate enemy blamed for poverty than justice. Oh so there's boy. a lot going on yeah, here. Yeah, too much. Uh, too much going on here. Soroist is a really good economic philosophy. I've never heard that term before, but now I know. Now I can add that one to my repertoire. <laughs> yeah, a new political, a new leftist political tendency I did not know about. That's that's a wild take. I like the idea of the uh, kind of Soros conspiracy behind everything, including the Vatican. So Soros is paying Black Lives Matter, uh, <laughs> Black Lives Matter activists. He's paying uh, all kinds of other folks, but he's also got the ear of the Pope. So uh, Pope Soros, Cardinal Soros, whatever you want to call him. Uh, apparently, he's pulling all the strings at the old Vatican Bank. Hang on, I'm, I got to look up something about George Soros really quick. I don't, is he Catholic even? <laughs> no, I don't think so. That's so weird. Uh, the, okay, so I just Googled this because uh, I had to get to the bottom of this connection between uh, <laughs> Subcomandante sub Soros and uh, and uh, <laughs> the Pope. Uh, I can't really find the connection. I don't really understand what it is. Uh, he apparently like invited the uh, invited Pope Francis to speak at something, and like that was kind of it. I don't know. It's so weird. Uh, I think the connection only exists in the broken brains of uh, Alex Jones listeners. <laughs> I think so, too. Uh, cool. Well, there you go. Um, there's a lot of problems in, in that comment uh, besides that. Uh, especially, like, I, I do uh, the comment about, like, there's, they don't even say anything about what the wealthier countries are, the wealthier countries are doing to help uh, more poverty-stricken areas like Africa or Asia, like uh, like should the document have mentioned like colonialism explicitly or something like uh, like that's how they got there in the first place. Uh, all right, well that's wild. Uh, okay, here's another comment that is uh, I think just as spicy. Honestly, the position on economic inequality is very disappointing. Some of what they wrote seems to come straight out of the writings of Karl Marx. Do they not recognize the free markets along with personal liberty bring more people out of poverty than any centrally managed economic system? While free markets will never be perfect since populations within them will always consist of imperfect people, there has never been a system that empowers individuals to improve their lots in life as much as uh, these based on freedom. I recall that when I was broke, I thought putting a dollar in the weekly collection basket was a big deal. I thought the same thing about paying $15 a week out of my paycheck and in income taxes. As a result of relatively free market economy, I now employ people who receive good wages and benefits under pleasant working conditions. Uh, I yeah, pay I them. That. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I pay them significant levels of income taxes and am privileged to contribute regularly to over 50 charities, most of which are connected to my beloved Catholic Church. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, like, sweet mama church. Yeah. 
This is not going to happen in centrally controlled economies because government bureaucrats and regulators do not have a clue as to how to create and manage businesses that produce goods and services that people actually want. It is unfortunate uh, <laughs> that the CDF, which is the organization that I think issued this document, has taken an Obama yeah. – oh, my gosh – that has taken an Obama-esque view of economics. They need to adhere to their mission and promote teaching on our Christian duties to care for the poor without telling us that the economy needs to be tightly regulated government planners. Their socialistic views, if more widely adopted, will increase world poverty, not alleviate it. Oh, my gosh. There's so much stuff going on here. I think my favorite part of this comment, though, is just like, uh, I employ workers and they love it. And it's like, uh, I, I only imagine how pleasant of a person this is to work for based on this one comment alone. <laughs> I mean, he contributes to over 50 charities, so the good news is, in the event that you actually get bad wages from this guy, one of his charities might come around and uh, help you fill up your pantry. Oh my gosh. In one way or another, he's got you. He's got you back, so. (laughs) One way or another is exactly right. Um yeah, uh, I especially like the idea that the that this is construed as a socialistic document when it is like explicitly. I mean, we'll talk about this more later, but it goes out of its way to keep reminding you that like that's not what it's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just like anything other than brutal libertarianism, I guess, is socialism. Yeah. Well, also the conflation of uh, writing straight from the car uh, straight from Karl Marx and an Obama esque view of <laughs> economics is really great. Those two things are exactly the same, actually. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's right. Uh, I remember after 2008 when Obama started quoting Karl Marx and uh, just nationalizing uh, all kinds of industries immediately. That was a really, really Obama-esque uh, economic situation. He was crazy about that, uh, the socialization of all social uh, programs and goods. Yeah, that's true. He did that. Well, uh, speaking of socialism, I'll, I'll go ahead and read another comment that we've got here. Um so this this one's quite short. Uh, the person says, equalization and redistribution says it all. These are very poorly coded words for socialism. In the end, that's what these bishops seek. Misery for the masses. Dear fathers, just asking, but who will be doing the redistributing? El Che? Yeah, I mean, that'd be cool. I'm down with that one. Yeah, I would be also very cool with that. Uh, I don't know a whole lot of uh, bishops who would be personally, but I'd like to meet them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, one more, and then we'll get get into it. Um, uh, this is probably my favorite comment of, of all of them, and uh, it goes a little something like this. First off, I'd like to say that it sounds like it could have been written by a communist. <laughs> Second, it sounded all bad and said nothing about good about the good of free enterprise, so it is not written by a true Christian. <laughs> uh, Jesus himself often preached about the good of free enterprise, so that's how you know. <laughs> Jesus is constantly talking about generating wealth for the sake of wealth. That's like his whole thing. Yeah, in uh, at, right after distributing all those loaves and fishes, he gave that really famous sermon about free enterprise and how important it is. <laughs> that's right. Uh, they were, uh, the loaves and fishes were actually just free samples to get the masses hooked. <laughs> That's it. Uh, just sitting behind that, uh, food court, um, food court glass, handing it right over yeah. on, a, on a toothpick. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, cool. Well, you know, if people think this much weird stuff about a document, it must be worth reading. And, uh, I think that this one is. So let's get into it. Dean, get, get us started here. Tell us where to start. Yeah. All right. Well, let's kind of let's actually just sort of move through it. Um, we'll pick out like a couple of pieces of the text and just unpack it and kind of identify some themes as we go. Um, I think that so I already said a bunch of stuff on Twitter. So I don't know if you follow me, then sorry, you're going to hear it again. Um, but what I think is most interesting about these comments and reading this this document is that if you are a Marxist, you're actually probably going to be sort of frustrated by a number of things that happen. Um, but if you are looking for a kind of open door to maybe start arguing for a more kind of Marxist-influenced uh, economic position within the Catholic Church, the document actually could potentially help you. Not not on purpose, but like you could reroute it in that direction. So yeah, you got to read it kind of sideways. Exactly, exactly. So I think the opening paragraph is kind of a, a good place because uh, it starts out sort of acknowledging neoliberalism uh, in a way. And then also kind of contains maybe a reason for a Marxist critique of of its own document, but it kind of leaves that open. So um, it says, uh, what is needed on the one hand is an appropriate regulation of the dynamics of the market, and on the other hand, a clear ethical foundation that assures a well-being realized through the quality of human relationships, 
rather than merely through economic mechanisms that by themselves cannot attain it. So I feel like those are sort of things that a lot of Marxists can get behind. Uh, maybe we'd want to be a little stronger on the idea of like regulating the dynamics of the market, for example. Um, but the idea that we should have a, a kind of economic life that is founded on like humans interacting with each other rather than uh, certain like economic mechanisms controlling the way in which we relate to each other, that's something that Marx himself is really kind of intent on and has a he has a really you know sentimental in a positive sense side to him about how basically one big problem in capitalism is that um it just stops humans from being able to hang out and like have a good time and spend time with each other without these kind of uh moneyed mediations or like the fight for survival which i think like in that sense this is actually a document that points us toward that sort of side of like a marxist ethic a very like human or personalist sort of marxism yeah, I agree. I think that uh, probably most of those commenters really had only read this first paragraph because uh, it's like, you know, this is the one of those really strong points in the document where it actually just says something against free market about, you know, letting the market kind of decide for itself. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good starting point. Why not? Yeah. Um, oh, another thing we should mention, too, that's sort of quite good is... Uh... The document says that there's no sort of universal or timeless economic formulas, um, which is pretty interesting uh, and something that I feel like should probably get a lot more press than uh, even some of the headlines that have come out of this document, because it suggests that maybe something like Marxism is a, a, an economic formula or contains economic formulas that would actually be useful, not necessarily uh, it like like it doesn't assume that capitalism is kind of a, a once and for all um you know economic problem like the end of history or whatever that you right. just sort of solve those problems you've got it all sorted out so like that's also maybe something that marxists can really pick on is that they've left the door open so you might as well walk through it yeah uh that's actually a pretty radical idea if you think about it <laughs> yeah just saying that there's a possibility that there could be a different economic situation it's something right mm-hmm. i mean it's it's radical in the sense that it leaves the door open for marxism uh, it's also <laughs> yeah. terrible in the sense that it also leaves the door open for a lot of other bad things too. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, okay, we'll get we'll get to it maybe later. <laughs> uh, yeah, anything sort of stick out for you in the beginning of this at all, Matt? Um, well, I think that's pretty good for the beginning. Uh, on the second page, uh, it's sort of broken up into points. So there's you know one, two, three, four, five. Uh, I think the next one we should talk about is number five. It's skipping ahead a little bit, but it's a good one. Um, So it says, although there have been many positive efforts at various levels, which should be recognized and appreciated, there does not seem to be any inclination to rethink the obsolete criteria that continue to govern the world. Um, So here it's uh, kind of getting into that idea that we just mentioned a little bit that the uh, that there's like, you know, possible uh, other economic systems that are are available that maybe speak to other situations. Um, I guess there's like an openness that's that's there that I really appreciate, even though it is, I think, mostly a liberal document uh, in terms of its economic ideas. Uh, there is an openness that I think is lacking in a lot of thinking about economics. Um, it's it's uh, it is liberal for sure. I'll keep saying that forever, but it is um, <laughs> less ideological than it could be. And that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um uh, I like, too, that it says um, there's no inclination to rethink the obsolete criteria that continue to govern the world. I mean, if you're a Marxist, you hear that and you think, yeah, <laughs> one of the, <laughs> exactly. capitalism is is that obsolete criteria, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. the document doesn't go that far. But again, it, it opens that door. Um, and I think that's actually really good. Like, there aren't a lot of people who are willing to talk about obsolete criteria. Um, a lot of people think, you know, the uh, the way that capitalist economics has figured everything out it's kind of just how it is and you just got to smooth out all the wrinkles and then it will keep on working um but that's not true uh and especially it's not true because capitalism has a sort of nature of crisis within it and one of the wild things about this document is it actually kind of recognizes that it doesn't really say it in those terms but it recognizes a sort of inbuilt fallibility to capitalism uh, so it keeps suggesting that all the regulations that you would come up with would have to be flexible and plastic and um, would need to be able to be sort of modified, uh, which, again, you called it earlier, Matt, a sort of uh, Keynesian, ethical Keynesianism, which I think is exactly right. Um, but yeah, anyway, that idea of that there that there are absolute criteria and that we could actually rethink them is a really important point. Yeah. Well, right after number five, I think comes... Uh 
the part that we should parse out a little bit more. Um, you mentioned it just a minute ago, but it says, furthermore, this document acknowledges that there do not exist universally valid economic formulas for every moment. So I think, again, like I like this because it does kind of open that door, but uh, it is kind of a denial of uh, that that uh, immortal science of Marxism-Leninism. And uh, I don't really have a huge problem with that being the case. But what do you think, Dean? Uh, <laughs> is, is it, uh, I mean, that's how people talk a lot about, like, um, well, that's how people talk about Marxism-Leninism and Marxism-Leninism, oh my gosh, and Marxism-Leninism-Maoism. Um, in my mm-hmm. neck of the woods, uh, in a lot of like the post-Marxist literature and philosophy I've read, um, people don't really think of Marxism as a science, really, in the same way that other folks do. So to me, this is, uh, I think, really good that this document acknowledges that there are no universally valid economic formulas. Um, I think that's probably good because economic situations should be pretty plastic. However, on the other hand, I, I do kind of get the problem that the insights of historical materialism are actually pretty good. And uh, and they at least are supposed to be universal. I don't know. What do you think? There's a there's a tension there, I think, between uh, what we're talking about usually and what's going on in this document. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think uh, we've mentioned this on the podcast before. Like, I share the kind of suspicion toward considering Marxism as a, a kind of dogmatic science. Um, and I've always been really resistant to talking about Marxism as a science uh, for a lot of reasons, partly because of, I guess, a kind of weird philosophy of science that I've yeah, <laughs> internalized same. or weird suspicion towards science. But um, I also just read a great article in the monthly review about uh, Marxism as a kind of open system and open science. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, like conceived in that way, that's quite interesting and cool. Um, but that, too, would, would also kind of presuppose that there's not a universally valid economic formula either, um, which is pretty good, right? That actually a good materialist analysis doesn't presuppose, um, like, timeless truths uh, that have to do with, like, economic arrangements, but rather tries to respond to economic arrangements as they arise in time and in history. So in that sense, like, uh, <laughs> I think it's only, like, really crass and sort of somewhat like novice marxists i think that kind of uh latch on to that idea of marxism leninism as a kind of like scientific uh dogmatically scientific investigation of the world that concludes things and then that's it um whereas uh i think there's a really good case to be made that even the kind of science of marxism if you if you have to call it a science uh is quite a sort of open-ended process on purpose yeah i mean if we want to conceptualize it that way i think i'm down like um that whatever the situation is, uh, like if Marxism Leninism being a science means responding to the material conditions, then I guess like that's kind of a scientific, that's fine. But it is super open, right? It's like it's uh, materialism is more to me a philosophical commitment than it is a scientific one. Yeah. Um. Sure. I don't know. It makes sense. Yeah, I think what I like most about it is that it's about this point that they make in the document is that um. It's a really good critique of like uh, Margaret Thatcher's "There is no alternative" um, statement, yeah. right? That like capitalism is just it, and that's all it's ever going to be, and that's just how humans are, right? Like she has that that other famous statement: "There's no such thing as society." And uh, like this document, you can almost feel that they're—I uh, don't know if it's direct or indirectly—but they're definitely going after that exact sentiment. Like they go out of their way to talk about how humans kind of emerge out of like communities and family life and all this other stuff. And they're not kind of isolated atomic, like bundles of will that just meet each other and have economic transactions. Yeah. Like they're people. Um, and so that's like a, a cool thing that I'm willing to kind of give them as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, this is kind of out of left field, but this is what it makes me think of at least. Um, like not only I think is Marxism of if if it is construed as a science a very open science, but like uh, Christianity is also pretty open in its understanding of like how it interacts with history. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, this is an idea that I think I got first when I read your PhD stuff, Dean. But that that Christianity is like really <laughs> plastic, right? Um, yeah, it changes over time. It, it looks differently. There's no Christianity, but just a lot of different sort of Christianities being deployed everywhere. Um, it really makes me think of this book that I read once that was really wild called The Canical for Leibowitz, which is like the only Christian science fiction book I think that I've ever read and ever want to read. <laughs> but basically, it's like a post-apocalyptic world where there is an order of uh, an order of monks. And um, what I like about it is it just demonstrates that um, 
like the church has always been like hierarchically uh the church is geared towards sort of like a flexibility and that it can take up lots of different forms throughout history and uh mm-hmm. i don't know that should make us feel maybe suspicious of of the church but also maybe kind of good about tradition and how it can like um reach backwards and forwards in some dynamic ways yeah i think so no that's good um we can also kind of use that as a good way to talk about how this document is sort of trying to wrestle with its own tradition the catholic social teaching tradition about economics yeah and uh in doing so um it 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 sort of draws from this relational personalism you could call it so there's all kinds of stuff in here about the dignity of the human person and how that's one of the big problems for them with how capitalism exists now is that it ignores that dignity and it makes it more and more difficult for people to see it in each other and there's something about that that's actually true and existentially real um but I think that, uh, I don't know if this works for you, Matt, but tell me if it does, but uh, I feel like this document could maybe be called something like communionism rather than communism. So the idea is like people are kind of coming together and, tr- and intentionally supposed to come together and that's what they're after rather than dealing with the kind of change in like the mode of production that might encourage other kinds of social relationships. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, communism sounds nice. Um, I'd rather have communism, but yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> well, but I guess that's the way of like distinguishing it from something like communism. Yeah. It's not uh yeah, it's it's after that sort of like personal response to the right. problems in the world rather than like a, a real structural political change. That's true, yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um I mean, which is nice. It's a super humanistic like uh approach to political economy, which I mean I'm okay with. Yeah. Well, up to a point, I guess. Um, like they they do all the stuff about egoism, right? That uh, yeah. One of the big one of the big problems that comes out is like people are just too greedy, or like too self absorbed. And if if we made this kind of ethical call to them, then you know maybe like things would change. And I think that there's actually that's a really kind of tough myth that we inherit from liberalism mm-hmm. and also from just Christianity in general. Right. That uh, if you change the hearts of people, then like you'll change the whole world. But like Christians have been telling people to change their hearts for like 2000 years. And uh, not only did it not stop capitalism, like Christians made capitalism up. So uh, I'm not like too keen on that. Like, I I think what I think is sort of dangerous. I mean, like, I know that obviously you're not uh, (laughs) arguing for that sort of a diagnostic criteria, but I think for me, what's dangerous about the uh, egoism critique is that like, yes, it's true. There's lots of greedy people in the world. No doubt about that. Um, but like by kind of hanging their hanging their their like hat on that hook, they end up missing the the broader problems or like why people get greedy or why greed really works quite well <laughs> in capitalism. Right, for sure. Or even that like, um, well, I, I don't know. I guess like egoism and capitalism to me seems like way too much of like a simple explanation for what's going on. Like, I don't know. You can find plenty of altruistic people in capitalism actually. But they, you know, they like mm-hmm. would practice altruism given the opportunity, I think, but they don't understand sort of the ways that they um, have benefited from uh, the economic system that, that already exists. Um, you know, so it's not like they're it's not like they're like necessarily super greedy people. They're just like rich because their family is rich and they don't recognize like that as being part like of um, But you know, it's not it's not like they chose to be rich or it's not like they're choosing to all their wealth they probably just, like don't even see their wealth as a real problem yeah i guess that's what yeah. i'm trying to say <laughs> is that they uh totally. it's not that no, you're right it's not that people are like greedy necessarily all the time it's just that people can't see their own like the limits of their own privilege or something that's right yeah that's a good way of putting it for sure all right matt so i'll throw another one at you here kind of coming off what we were just talking about um with people being good and kind of it uh re- like relying on people being good so in section 15 The document says the financial dimension of the business world, focusing business on the axis of money through the gateway of the world of stock exchange, uh, the world of the stock exchange, is as such something positive. So I guess this like goes to that commenter's worry about how they don't say anything about free enterprise. Um, Yeah. Like throughout the whole document, they actually say quite a bit about how it's really good and they like go out of their way to sort of affirm that. Um, but I guess like Matt, I'm curious what you think of how that relates to like some of their, uh, like placing their own kind of emphasis on personal change. Okay. So this, uh, statement number 15 is actually really strange. So the part that precedes it is really complicates. I think what is 
going on in the statement. So right before the part you read, Dean, it says money is itself an instrumental good, as are many other things at the disposal of the human person, and is a means to order one's freedom and to expand one's possibilities. Nevertheless, the means can easily turn against the person. Likewise, the financial dimension of the business world focusing business on the access of money through the gateway of the world stock exchange is uh, as such something positive. Um, but then it kind of goes on to give a critique of speculative transactions and uh, the stock exchange too. So it is playing off of that idea. Like it's um, it, it kind of shoves away uh, like the financial capitalist model that we have today, but, but it wants something different that is even weirder. Like um, that, like as money as an uh, instrument of the individual. So it's like um, the stock exchange is bad, but it's bad because like people could just make better decisions uh, directly or something. Uh, it, it's like a critique that's like again relying on the individual person as an actor in the world, with kind of disconnected from the larger political economy that they're within, and that's fundamentally a problem if you can't even get kind of to the root of like what's driving the economy. If you think that like you know individual consumers or individual people with capital are the the drivers of the economy instead of like. Um, organized business and labor markets or something it's really strange a strange idea yeah that's right um and i think this is something too that just kind of comes out uh throughout the document here and elsewhere where the basic assumption is is both that like individuals should be good but also that uh in a in a really fundamental way it isn't capitalism itself that is flawed it's like a certain direction that capitalism has gone in and you could maybe like put it in a different direction and everything would be fine um like you know the the problem isn't like the accumulation of private property or like uh exorbitant inequality or, or anything like that um it's like the problem is when those things kind of get like a little too far uh too far removed from like regular people and i guess like that's the kind of thing that marx is always after like in capital right that it isn't even necessarily that people like want to be uh bad or like create inequality or whatever it's like the way that like you make money in a capitalist society is precisely by doing those things like by going to those extremes and like transcending limits that you put up for yourself um and i think like that's kind of just a weird thing that that happens is they keep wanting like different kinds of limits or like to push the global economy in like different kinds of directions but there's something like wrong with like what you were just saying matt the like the root of it like they're kind of dealing with the branches instead of kind of going to uh, see where those branches grow out of or something yeah it's just such a strange idea to me because it's like w- like the corrective they're offering is like a corrective of individual virtue right like it seems like um right it seems like if people were just better people if they just practice like sort of like the right christian virtues better you know maybe things wouldn't quite be so bad but it neglects the fact that like those people are in the middle of a political economy that like functions on them being bad so like why would they like if mm-hmm. if the if the people okay if if the right virtue would correct the people in the economy why wouldn't the the right virtue also correct the economy itself like the sort of political economy mm-hmm. itself so why why like go and just say people should just you know use their money in this different good instrumental way rather than saying like we should just make the the idea of money only serve people in a good instrumental way or something like design a system that does yeah. that so it's just like a weird to me like a, a weird like asymmetry or, or a wrong a wrong just like the wrong place to look for the problem <laughs> right yeah even what you're saying is like interesting because there are so many Thomists in the catholic church who are for that very reason against capitalism right like it doesn't encourage you to be virtuous yeah yeah like so like what's that about my criticism right here is i guess like a structural point and like one that's probably based in like base and superstructure type of thinking or something but yeah. i don't know Thomists can do it why not when I get there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. So maybe coming off that, I, I know I just put one to you, but I'm going to put another one to you. God, um, I know. I'm just, I'm, I've got you in the hot seat here. Ooh. Phone um, to friend. So they have a an analogy that they go to that is kind of wild. Um, so this is in section 19. They say, thanks to globalization and digitalization, the markets can be compared to a giant organism through whose veins, like living sap, flow huge amounts of money. This analogy allows us to speak of the health of such an organism when its means and structures are functioning well and the growth and diffusion of wealth go hand in hand. The health of a system depends on the health of every single action performed 
In a healthy market system, it's easier to respect and promote the dignity of the human person and the common good. Uh, so what do you think, Matt? What, what's this big animal called the market? Like? Oh, my God. I'm so here for this comment, actually. Um, <laughs> so several years ago when I was finishing up my master's degree, uh, I wrote my thesis uh, on why capitalism is a body without organs, which is like a Deleuzian term that no one cares yeah. about. Anyway, so when everyone, <laughs> whenever anyone describes the market as an animal or as an, uh, as an organism with veins, with life-giving sap, I'm like... <laughs> yeah no kidding it's exactly like that um so i think that this is actually like a really good description of how the market actually does work but they get it a little bit wrong like um the market is not a healthy body <laughs> if anything like healthy bodies know how to like regulate sort of their intake and output and like know how to upkeep themselves like healthy bodies can like get haircuts and like can take a shower and stuff like that <laughs> uh the market is like fundamentally not a healthy body the market is more like um like have you ever seen attack on titan yeah yeah like the market is like one of those big like zombie babies that attacks the city and eats people <laughs> whole like, um, the market is something that doesn't know how to, like, stop consuming. It doesn't know how to stop purging. It doesn't know how to stop bloodletting itself or, like, you know, just consuming nonstop. Um, so, like, they're not wrong. Like, the health of a system depends on the health of every single action performed. Like, that's true. But, like, this is a body that's fundamentally only has, like, maybe, like, three parts to it. Like, if the market were a body, it has a mouth, it has a stomach, and it has a butt. And, like... um it's constantly just cycling through those things. It consumes and it purges. Um, so I like I like this picture, but it's kind of they're being way too optimistic or way too nice about what the market uh, as as organism actually looks like, um, because markets do like one thing. Um, they like consume and expand, and like they get bigger and they find more places to consume and expand, and like they find ways to sort of purge itself of the thing it doesn't need anymore. Um, and like that's what the market does that is the the uh market as an organism i like that a lot also very gross in a good way super gross um, yeah <laughs> it's funny because later on they use the they like continue this analogy a little bit and they talk about um what they call a financial biodiversity yeah and uh it just kind of makes me think of the market as a horrible super predator that just like eats itself out of its own environment right like it eats all the available prey till there isn't any left and then it uh like moves on or just collapses on itself or something yeah that's right um yeah the biodiversity thing is so strange because like that's just a really nice way to sort of paint that picture because like what it means is just like <laughs> it's just more things that it can interact with and generate generate profit from yeah that's right um go, going back a bit i mean like so I, I think it's a nice picture i think they just get some of it wrong something that we kind of we skipped over but i want to move back to it really quick is um is number 17 did you read that one uh it says yeah yeah that's a really good good moment yeah so it says what is morally unacceptable is not simply to profit but rather to avail oneself of an inequality for one's own advantage in order to create enormous profits that are damaging to others or to exploit one's dominant position in order to profit by unjustly disadvantaging others or to make oneself rich through harming and disrupting the collective good I guess to me, this is like, um, this is the corrective that their number 19 and their number 20 actually really need that, like, um, mm. the organism of market can't just be one that's like let loose to do whatever. And in sort of a, a biodiverse ecosystem that it's in, like, uh, it needs, um, it needs rules for itself. It needs a logic that is, um, an alternate of just like expansion and consumption. Yeah, though I think they try to provide that um, even here in this criticism, right? That like the only way you get a healthy sort of organism uh, to stick with their analogy is to uh, kind of put it in the right kinds of limits, like where you respect, you know, each part within or something like that. But the tough thing about it is like, so they say what's morally unacceptable is not simply to profit, but to avail oneself of an inequality for one's own advantage. But like, that is what capitalism is. Right? Yeah. Like, how could you ever profit without availing yourself of an inequality for your own advantage? Like, that is literally what it means to gain private wealth, uh, <laughs> to, like, expropriate the surplus labor of your workers. Right. Like, that There's no way to get profit other than that. Yeah, because if you did not avail yourself of an inequality for your own advantage, you just pay your workers, like, all of the money that they're owed. 
Yeah, exactly. They would get all of your profits and you wouldn't be the boss anymore. <laughs> Which, if that's the point, then cool. But I don't think that's what they intend. They, you know, mean something yeah. else. Uh, there's um, there's a certain vagueness to a lot of this, too, that is, um, I guess, characteristic of sort of moral religious language that I'm not a fan of. So, right. Um, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, I will say, though, like in all these kind of critical moments, there's, there's actually a really nice paragraph in Section 17. Um, and it reminded me a little bit of like what Marx famously kind of describes communism as in the German ideology. Uh, so they say, what is demanded is an initiative above all for the renewal of humanity in order to reopen the horizons towards that abundance of values, which alone permits the human person to discover himself or herself and to construct a society that is a hospitable and inclusive dwelling place with room for the weakest and where wealth is used for the benefit of all places where it is beautiful for human beings to live and easy for them to have hope. And that like that is a paragraph that could have come out of Marx, like to <laughs> to yeah. go to something that uh, that commenter says sort of critically, right? That like that kind of society is exactly why we don't want capitalism, why Marxists don't want capitalism. And it reminds me of that moment where Marx describes communism as like basically like waking up in the day, doing a little bit of work, going fishing, being a philosopher, and then like going home. Like that's what communism is. Right. Yeah, Marx could have written that paragraph. Soros could have written that paragraph. Either one of them. <laughs> the immortal science of George Sorosism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's really uplifting. I think that's good, and I think that's I mean that, that's great. But again, I, I think there's that 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 vagueness uh, characteristic of of moral language and religious sort of right. like political theology kind of stuff. Um, Right. Well, skipping. Okay, so we got that really good positive moment. Let's skip ahead to something that's a little bit less uh, cool. Uh, let me pitch you this one, <laughs> Dean. Turning the tables. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is number twenty-two. It says a healthy financial system also requires the maximum amount of information possible, so that every agent can protect his or her interest in full. Glad they're being inclusive with uh. that language. Uh, <laughs> so that every agent can protect his or her interest in full and with complete freedom. It is, in fact, important to know if one's capital is used for speculative purposes and also to know the degree of risk and the adequate price of the financial products to which one subscribes. Uh, yeah, what do you think? <laughs> this is kind of weird. Yeah, uh, it's really weird. I don't like this paragraph for a lot of reasons, um, but I'll just name two of them, I guess. <laughs> so one is it's like a really weird kind of libertarian argument, right? Like you should just vote with your dollar. And that depends on like properly informing consumers. So like who cares if your food is like irradiated to hell, just put a label on it and then people can decide if they want it or not. And like if enough people decide, then, you know, it'll go one way or the other. And I think that just fundamentally misses like how human beings operate um even if you're a good catholic like catholics don't think that like the intellect is the primary driver of human beings there's all kinds of other things going on there's desire and there's sinful desire at that right like it's not just information that you kind of uh sift through and then act on or don't act on uh and that is not gonna save the planet or or vulnerable people um I think the second thing that frustrates me about it is that, like, I just don't want to have to care about this. Like, I have so many other things that I have to think about and care about every single day. Uh, like, the last thing I want to do is worry about, like, what I'm buying into or, like, where my money is going if I, like, buy this product or that product. Like, I want to live in a society where I can just kind of be assured that probably it's going to the right place and i like don't live in one of those and i think that's really frustrating like i want to be free from that burden of information right um that's a really funny idea actually i mean this reminds me of um i don't know my mom everyone's mom all the moms who are like uh (laughs) you know making sure everything is like organic GMO free that it was grown like on a farm where they like sang to the vegetables and uh, they all had names and stuff. <laughs> right. It's like, you want to make sure that like, you're not supporting some kind of terrible business. Um, but like uh, the voting with your dollar thing is fundamentally fra- flawed because there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Uh, however, at the same time, I am kind of sympathetic to this whole thing because I don't know, like a few weeks ago when we were, when we were trying to source Magnificat shirts, we were like worried about this exact thing, but, uh, point <laughs> yeah. taken, I don't want to have to worry about this. I mean, like instead of, instead of a political economy where we have to play, like, you know, we have to take notes about like what country our t-shirts are coming from. 
uh, it would be cool if we just knew that uh, no matter where they came from, like workers were like paid the right amount because they own the means of production or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's like it's frustrating that part of the solution here is like, well, it's not the system's fault that you have to know all that stuff. It's kind of your fault. Like you've got to know it. Yeah. And then you have to make the right decision based on that information. And I think just like putting the moral impetus on consumers uh, is just really, really missing like the big picture and and kind of foisting responsibility in the wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what if instead of that, it was just, like, a call for all uh, Catholics who own businesses, like that really nice commenter from the very beginning whose employees love to work for him. What if it was just instead a call <laughs> to, like, um, hey, uh, make sure that you um, make business decisions with your employees? Like, that would be, yeah. like, a way better idea. <laughs> right. Um there's actually so like we can back up in a sec, but later on in section thirty three, they really like double down on this point. Actually, um, so they say uh, all that we have been talking about so far is not only the work of an entity that operates out of our control, but that is also in the sphere of our responsibilities. This means that we have within our reach important instruments capable of contributing toward the solution of many problems. For instance, the markets live thanks to the supply and demand of goods. In this regard, every one of us can influence in a decisive manner by giving shape to that demand. And then they go on to talk about, like, shopping. Yeah. So they say, shopping is a daily engagement with which we procure the necessities of living and also a form of a choice that we exercise among the various products that the market offers. And they go on to basically talk about how, like, yeah, you should just, like, really know a lot about, like, every supply chain, I guess. Um, so that's quite frustrating, I think. It's frustrating, too, because it's not like supply chains want you to know about them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, a huge a huge job of public relations and marketing is making sure that they are opaque and that you do not know where they come from and that you don't know about the labor right. behind them. You don't know how many people like didn't get bathroom breaks when they're making the hot dogs that you just ate or something. Um, it's like the point. I don't know. It's it's just like such a such like a a letdown of uh an idea about political agency in the world like well just like research yeah. where your stuff's coming from and then you know buy the good stuff and it's like, like no that's not gonna work yeah it's like in fairness to them i guess it's kind of like well you have to live under capitalism so you should like do your best to live an ethical life in the situation that you're in and like that's true no doubt about that i mean it's stressful but like i try to do that um as far as i'm able but at the end of the day like it's kind of like a really kind of depressing consolation prize like you can be the best that you can be in a system that makes you necessarily bad yeah um i think like i don't know like i would much rather hear i guess the uh, a kind of moral declaration against the fact that there's a society that like intentionally makes you guilty all the time no matter how hard you try to be good yeah rather than to like affirm like the kind of drops in the bucket of goodness uh that you do every day or whatever right it's it's a letdown <laughs> um all right well okay so there's a bunch of bunch of kind of letdowns but maybe we should like end this on a note that tries to affirm some of the good stuff in here beyond just like the utopic stuff they do talk a lot about like trying to hold different people responsible mm -hmm. for financial disasters and you know the the evils that happen like there is a certain kind of structural critique and it's not all just personal um so for example like in section 27 um they talk about how like there needs to be real like real kind of reckonings with the fact that there's a basically institutionalized criminalization in a lot of uh speculative finance in particular and like they go out of their way to mention the financial crisis in 2007 and 2008 and you know the subtext there is like how come these guys didn't like get prosecuted or go to jail and that i can really appreciate because that's not the kind of thing that you hear from most even like moral authorities who are upset about capitalism yeah for sure that's pretty good uh there's also this kind of funny part uh i mean i i think it has good intentions but it kind of comes off being really weird that's in 31 about tax avoidance did you catch that bit <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it says tax avoidance on the part of primary <laughs> stakeholders, those large financial intermediaries who move the market, indicate an unjust removal of resources from the actual economy. This is damaging for the civil society as a whole. So it's basically like you should pay your taxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty fun. Um, yeah. 
It's kind of a, uh, I mean, like in the United States, I mean, Dean, you know, you're, you're not that far removed, but like people hate paying their taxes. But like, what if you lived in a society where the things that you paid your taxes for were actually good and you liked it? That'd be pretty wild. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. I think the most uplifting part of the article for me is uh, this little, this little bit in uh, number 23. I'll just read it here and we can talk about it for a minute, maybe. Uh, it says, wherever mere profit is placed at the summit of the culture of a financial enterprise and the actual demands of the common good are ignored, every ethical claim is perceived as irrelevant. This is reported. Nice. Yeah. Let me read just a little bit more because it's so good. This is reported today as a fact and is very much widespread, even in the prestigious business schools. I'm not sure if that one's true, but you never know. <laughs> every ethical claim is actually perceived as irrelevant and juxtaposed to the entrepreneurial action. This is very much highlighted from that fact uh, that in the organizational logic, those who do not adjust to business targets of this type of who not adjust to business targets of this type are penalized both at the retributive level and at the level of professional recognition. Um, so, I mean, like the the bottom part clarifies some other things, but I like the the way that it states at the very beginning. It's a really strong statement that I think we can take and kind of run with in some different ways. That um, mm-hmm. every ethical claim is really perceived as irrelevant if uh, mere right. profit is sort of the pursuit of uh, financial enterprise. Um, I think that's something that uh, means some things that the authors of this press release did not intend. But like, um, <laughs> like respecting private property is an ethical claim, and it could definitely be perceived as irrelevant right. uh, if profit is placed at the summit of the culture of a financial ent- enterprise. So uh, <laughs> I think that that is something worth thinking about. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's a good logic yeah. that is outside of the way we think about ethics usually, that ethics um, could be irrelevant uh, if the common good is ignored and right huh really makes you think but i think the what what they're getting at though right is that um people in business they uh perceive these ethics as irrelevant um like they might talk about business ethics or whatever but ultimately the point is to get more money right yeah so uh they perceive it as irrelevant even though like they might pay lip service to it or something um but i guess what you're saying is like uh in such a situation because the ethics are actually irrelevant like you wouldn't have to worry about respecting private property or something is that what you're after yeah exactly what i'm saying is if you read it wrong yeah it gets better yeah (laughs) i like that that's good uh reading things wrong on purpose is a really good reading strategy well especially when they're so vague and especially when there's about ethics i mean i know that it is disingenuous but at the same time like they're inviting themselves to it yeah Yep, I think so. Um, I mean, that's kind of the, I guess, like, if I, if we had to have a sort of wrap-up point, I think that's something that we've been kind of dancing around throughout the whole conversation, is that um, they, like, they leave their se- themselves open unintentionally to all kinds of, like, further radicalizations of points that they make in this document. And maybe, like, the kind of Christian leftist task is to both... Uh, like greet these kinds of press releases with a certain amount of skepticism and suspicion, but also greet them with the intention of taking them more seriously than their authors do. Yeah. And uh, really like pushing the points as far as they actually naturally go. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. Um, at uh, my school in my institution, um, there's an idea that we use a lot here called over accepting. And usually it's like whenever anyone says over accepting a conversation at Greenville, uh, it's usually like everyone in the room will collectively roll their eyes. But I think um, I think in this context, it's good. You have to find ways to say uh, uh, y- like yes and to these types of things. Um, like this is what they're saying. And like, how do we do it and take it extremely seriously and like make it really work? And I think that's kind of what mm-hmm. we're trying to do here. So, yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> so I can affirm some of these things if I read them from an angle. Right. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I'm waiting for the like um, Christian situationist to turn them off of this sort of this document. It's a good, it's a good idea. Someone should do that. Yeah, friendly anarchism and the like, uh, friendly fire collective should do it. Yeah, they I think uh, they are more creative than us and definitely have the sort of uh, brains for it. <laughs> yeah, they also have that good, just like anarchist aesthetic, which uh, lends to uh, being being fun and playful. Yeah, definitely. Not with these boring scientific Marxists. <laughs> I know. Too much science over here. (laughs) Sitting in the lab all day. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can go and uh, support us on Patreon. You should do that, even if you didn't like it. Um, <laughs> Especially if you didn't like it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can find the Magnificast on two cool podcast networks. Uh, one's called Critical Mediations. The other one's called Theology Corner. Find us on both of them. There's lots of other good po- uh Oh my gosh. There's lots of other good podcasts on them as well. Uh, Friendly Anarchism. Um Rev Left Radio is on Critical Mediations. I like that one a lot. So get list get listening to those for sure. And they're they're good. So just do it. Gods and Ghosts. Uh, oh, Gods Tyler and Hill, Ghosts. He's on Critical Mediations now. Okay, so I uh, I do like Rev Left. Wait, oh my gosh, I do like Rev Left Radio a ton. But I, I, Gods and Ghosts is like one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Uh, Tyler Hill is a good podcaster and a good storyteller. I'm so into it. Yeah, check him out. <laughs> sorry. Uh, cool. Um, uh, we just wrapped up selling some t-shirts, so if you missed out, sorry, they're gone forever. You can never get one now. Um, there there should be shipping, though, in the next few days, so um, as you guys get your t-shirts, <laughs> uh, you can take a cool selfie of yourself wearing them in church or in your house, wherever you want to take them. I don't really care. Uh, but show off that good Magnificast swag, Swagnificast um cool all right well as usual thanks to amoria uh oh my gosh as usual thanks to amoria for our intro music because it's really cool and uh thanks to the illogical spoon for outro music see you next time i don't want to get up for church in the morning church in the morning souls alive Come to earth and there won't be no church We'll meet down by the riverside There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no damn between us and our Lord